Hello. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to reInvent. Yeah. Take your headphones on. So it's 10.45 now. And yeah, if you are here to learn about automating governance, then you're at the right spot. So we're starting right on time. We don't have uh, any time to lose, literally. We have so much to tell you. I'm Yuri Belinke. I'm a head of uh, technology for National Australia Bank. And today with me, Chris Mears. Morning, everyone. I'm the engineering manager of the deputy platform, which you'll hear about uh, during, the, uh, during the presentation. Yeah, before we move on, I'm curious. Uh, do we have people from Australia here? Can you please raise your hands? Oh, wow. quite a lot. Thank you. Don't, don't put them down. Do we have uh, NAP customers here? There should be just as many. Come on. We love our customers. Thank you. Thank you very much for doing business with us. Okay, because not everybody here is NAP customer, we will start with introduction of our employer, National Australia Bank. So, first we'll start with the name. A lot of people uh, get confused. National. It's not a state bank of Australia. It is a retail bank. National Australia Bank. National Australia Bank is a part of a big four banks of Australia. And uh, banking plays a very important role in Australian economy. Uh, National Australia Bank has uh, 9 million customers. And Chris, how many people do we have in Australia? There's 25 million plus of us. 25 million. Yeah, you see. And the last but not least on the introduction, NAP and yeah, most people in Australia, instead of National Australia Bank, they just say NAP. And we will be saying NAP throughout the presentation. NAP is currently in the midst of its uh, pretty massive transformation program with the goal to modernize our technology and set the bank for the future success. So, we structured our talk as a layer cake. So we have four layers. And the foundation of this cake may be not the most tasty part of the cake. And it's a little bit dry, but it's actually very important because it will set up the context for all the more um, let's say, tasty parts of our presentation, where we will go into more technical details. And, um, and generally with any of this part, any of this part you can take home, apply to your own situation, and get benefits. So the introduction would be our problem statement, our challenge. OK, thank you, Chris. Um, we started our cloud journey in uh, 2013, but like a couple years ago, uh, we really accelerated it as a part of the, as a part of this transformation program uh, I have mentioned. And um, yeah, so in order to get uh, benefits of our transformation program, in order to get return on investment, we actually need to move our workloads to the cloud fast, but. Um, I mean, moving financial workloads to the cloud has its own unique challenges. How many of you are from financial industry, like banks and investment banks? Wow. Is it? Great. Great. Quite many. So you know about these unique challenges, right? We have a high focus on controls. And um, yeah, generally, we could, governance is pretty much non-negotiable in our environment. Our industry is highly regulated. In governance, um, I mean, I'm sure those ones in the financial services industry, we use the word governance a lot. We govern this and we, we govern that. We love it. We love it. But 
we've been governing our workload since 2013. What we're talking about today and the governance that we're focusing on today is how we use that governance much earlier in the development life cycle. We want to push that governance all the way into the delivery pipeline so to help us accelerate it. So we want to use governance to accelerate our ability to migrate these workloads to cloud. And just a small comment, you said we governed our workloads from 2013. We actually did it all the time before. You meant like governed for the cloud. Cloud workloads. Since day one. Since day one, yep. Yes, so we had kind of a dilemma. We want to move fast because that's required by the business, but we also should move safe. And like, how do we approach this dilemma? And our answer was, um, it was reasonably simple. So in order to move fast and move safe, we need to make governance more uniform across all the workloads, and we need to automate pretty much like as much as we can. And we will describe in the next slides how we approached, how we uh, come to this problem, oh, to the solution. So who, who are engineers in the room? Any engineers? Okay. All we've got up on the board here, these blue boxes are just stages in a CI pipeline. So when we, when we move to cloud, we got a lot more uh, flexibility. We got a lot more control of the underlying infrastructure than we did with our traditional infrastructure providers. As part of doing that, we wanted our engineers, we wanted to give the ability to the engineers to use this. So we wanted them to automate. We wanted them to script everything up. We wanted them to automate. automate. And this gave them the flexibility to deliver great software. So that's, that's what we're seeing there. So we call this the fully flexible model. But that presented some unique challenges. I mean, when we're governing our workloads, they were probably done more through audits uh, security reviews, and what we call manual attestations. Someone providing evidence that we've done the right thing. And we store those things. But if we take the example of one of our critical workloads, where we have four independent reviews by, done by different auditors, twice a year, to collect that information, because we've got it, it's stored a little bit differently maybe for one team to the other. And to collect that information and work with our internal and external auditors, it does take a little bit of time. So if it takes a week or two to get that together, that, that's a cost. And outside doing those uh, yearly audits, those fixed point in time audits, every time we deployed another feature, we'd have to look at whether um, we'd have to reattest to a certain number of them. Now we want to deliver as much software as we can. We want to do multiple releases. But if we're spending a day collecting the evidence to manually reattest to certain things, the cost starts to get significant. Yeah, especially if we release, like, if we try to release every day, then, like, one day to release, one day to re-attest. Yeah. So you can imagine over 700 workloads, which I think is our first wave of yeah, workloads. Yeah, just the first wave, we have uh, several thousand workloads to migrate. That's significant time for our, not only our engineers and our service teams, but for everyone else in the bank. So, we can't, so we've got two options. We can go with a fully closed, centralized, controlled pipeline. Locked, automated controls through that pipeline. However, that would be centrally managed and centrally controlled. So we would, and probably managed by a central team. The other challenge I think we would have would be around adoption. Adoption, that's one, that's absolutely true, because like, it's difficult for teams who are fully flexible to become fully closed, that's one thing. 
Second, we would also have like a resource constraint because yeah, we will have this only one team who will be managing this fully closed pipeline. Okay, we will make it big, but you know, there is only that much scalability you can put into a single team. That's right. So even though this is an approach, we've called it, we've gone with something that we call the middle ground, right? Continuous governance. We still have those flexibility in the pipeline for the, for the teams to be able to add those pieces of the pipeline that they feel they need to add to deliver great software. But from a banking point of view, we want to capture and we want to, we want to make sure that the right step's happening in that pipeline. And that's important to mention. This middle ground, it's not a bad compromise. It's actually a good compromise. It's not like, it's generally we are trying to find the best things from all the solutions we have. And it still has some cultural challenges with adoption. It's still That's not easy. Well, we have been driving a, a culture of innovation. We want our technology teams to drive innovation. So we want to still give them flexibility to do some things that they want to add to the process. The difference here is it's centrally captured and centrally enforced. And again, mostly automated controls. And we'll go into a bit more detail later on. Uh, Chris, before you move on, I have a quick question uh, to you. So this is one of Chris' most favorite slides. And he was getting a lot of, um, yeah, let's say feedback on this slide because people were saying it's not obvious, what do you want to tell? Like, how many of you do actually get Chris' point which he's trying to convey? It? Come on, everyone, Can put you their please? hands up, come on. Oh, come on, oh, more, more. I didn't think you would ask that, Yuri. I thought that was just during the dry run, so <laughs> thanks for that. Ah, you're welcome. So yeah, let's uh, start to look like what we're really doing, uh, uh, what's our conceptual approach to this continuous governance? What are the elements of our solution? Next one, please. So we have two main elements of our solution. First one is our um, governance framework for the cloud. We call it CAST, Cloud Adoption Standards and Techniques. And Cloud Adoption Standards and Techniques, on one side, I would say it's not a rocket science. On the other side, I think it's brilliant. It's a collection of standards and techniques, and all these standards, they are generally codifying your governance, and they're telling like, what good looks like. That's one part. Second part, you have all these standards, but you also need to enforce these standards. So we have our custom build, so it's our custom build. It's not a, it's not a product we purchased, which is called Deputy. We built it with AWS Professional Services Australia, and this Deputy platform, we call it platform, it plays a role of policy enforcement points. So when you are deploying your workload from left to right, this workload getting attested against CAST standards and deputy enforcing this attestation and enforcing that these standards are met. So that actually pretty much two main parts of our continuous governance. Yeah, sorry. <clears throat> yeah, I guess it's the first time that we've been able to, in a soft De develop software to deliver these things, uh, to deliver a framework in this kind of way. And the other important thing right here is we're actually generating a compliance report for every single build that we do. Every single build, we have a snapshot at the time the build's created of that compliance status. And that's why we call it continuous governance. So it sounds quite a fancy word, but that's the reason we call our solution a continuous governance, because we do governance continuously within pretty much our CI CD pipeline. So what are the business outcomes of this solution? We pretty much getting 
all the goals we set for ourselves but beyond. So we are able to migrate our workloads at the pace required by the business. It's still a lot of effort, but we can meet the business requirements. And that's the main goal we actually set for ourselves. Besides that, there are like other benefits. Uh, first benefit, I would say that our organizational efficiency is increasing significantly because we do all the things, like mostly all the things, one way. And that helps us to reduce, uh, you know, know-how for each particular workload, uh, enable cross-pollination of people between different workloads, and so on. Yeah, and we mentioned before, when we mentioned before about that compliance report at every build, that actually gives us telemetry about what's going on in, across all of our deployments. And that's something we haven't centralized before. So it's, it's a really important mechanism for us. We can start to look at that data and, and, and potentially add other features and other controls that we, we, um, we think that might be appropriate. And, but the most important thing, I think, Yuri, here, this is the thing that's going to help us. The outcome is delivering to cloud at scale with the right controls in place to protect our, uh, our customers. Absolutely. Yeah. Move on. So I think some of you guys uh, listen to it and think, okay, that sounds like a nice abstraction because so far we were pretty abstract. And is it a reality? And the answer is yes, it is a reality. We started with this uh, project about a year ago. About a year ago, we started with Deputy Cast as a framework started before. And originally, for the first six to nine months, we had just one, two teams onboarded to the platform which were working closely with us. And we will come later in the presentation to our learnings. Now we have 35 teams in the production using this platform. These 35 teams, it's not everything, it represents probably around 20% of our CI-CD workload. We still need to expand and move. We have a lot of work to do, but it's reality. We, are, we the bank, is benefiting from this solution now. Yeah, and we've probably come to a point, it's a bit of like a hockey stick. We're sort of at that bottom of that tip now, and we're actually really starting to uh, accelerate it and really, um, uh, you know, growing that workload over the next couple of months. Mm -hmm. so. so let's look into the elements of our solution. Let's start with CAST, which is, as I said, stands for Cloud Adoption Standards and Techniques. So CAST is a collection of standards. Each standard has one or more associated technique. Standard is generally defining what. Technique is defining how workload should assess against this standard. You can have more than one technique for a standard. Some of the techniques can be combined with end clause, like, you know, in order to meet this standard, I need to go through technique A and technique B. In some of the cases, maybe it depends on your workload type, you have a combination with a clause or, where you actually say, in order, if, if my workload type is this, then I need technique A. If my workload type is that, I need technique B. And we will go into the details of like, what are the standards and what are the uh, techniques. We also have uh, enterprise techniques and uh, workload techniques. Enterprise techniques are actually uh, assessed by the enterprise. And largely speaking, a uh, service team or workload doesn't need to do any extra work to attest to this uh, standard. And we have a workload techniques uh, where um, it's the responsibility of each individual workload. So the other important thing about enterprise techniques, when we're talking about that snapshot in time, those compliance report, it includes all the enterprise techniques. We actually have those and they get applied to each workload, each build. 
And we will show it in the demo. Yeah, we haven't mentioned that we have a demo actually in this presentation. So it's not very dry PowerPoint. So in terms of our standards, uh, we broke them down into seven logical groups. And these seven logical groups we call perspective, it's architecture, it's security, it's service management, you know, this level. Uh, each uh, perspective has an owner. An owner is responsible for several things. First, an owner is responsible for, for the life cycle management of each standard. So support the teams who are going through the attestation on the standard and trying to execute techniques support external and internal auditors who have questions to the techniques and who want to modify techniques. That's one part. Another part, the same perspective owner is responsible for automation of these techniques. So this is a pretty much how we structured our framework. In terms of attestation, we have uh, two types of attestation. One is manual. Some of the standards unfortunately could not be attested uh, automatically. Like, uh, for example, some standards in the architecture area. Let's say, for example, you want to use well-architected framework as a technique, AWS well-architected framework. Today you need to review. Today you could not just throw your workload into the well-architected framework and get a response back, at least as far as I know. It would be great if we can. Uh, what was your example in the demo? Um, business continuity Yes, plan. business continuity. Business continuity as a standard. You definitely need business continuity for some of the workloads. Business continuity requires a document. You actually need to think and try document how you are going to approach your business continuity, and somebody needs to review this document. And I guess that's a pretty familiar concept for many of you. That's manual. needs to be done. And a lot of things we are trying to do automatically, because if we do it automatically, we can do it fast. So like security scanning of your code, that's definitely an automated technique. Doesn't require any manual intervention. And we're really driving that automation across the organization, but it does take time, it takes maturity. And so we're, we're making great progress there. Yeah. So we have a couple of examples of the technique standards. We are using it a little bit interchangeably, but yeah, I think you will get the point. So the standard here on the slide is a commercial agreement in place with the cloud provider. And really, we don't expect our service teams, each workload, to go and make commercial agreement with AWS. That would be like a little bit strange. So we have an um, enterprise-level commercial agreement. But this commercial agreement, it cascades down to all the service teams, and they can use it in their attestation without doing any extra work. And the next example would be of a workload standard when we do like a security code scanning. And that's the responsibility of each workload to do security code scanning on their code. Yeah, I guess the thing here, Yuri, is we can have a mix of automated and manual uh, techniques for one standard. Yeah, that's right. Because we can have multiple techniques for a single standard. We actually may have at the beginning one standard, two techniques or three techniques, all manual. And we start migrating to the automated step by step. So at a certain moment of time, we will have one technique automated and, and moving on to automate everything and be able to attest to a particular standard fully automatically at the end. And it's really important to understand that once a technique goes from manual to automated, those previous builds, those pre previous compliance reports are still a snapshot of the original manual attestation. So that hasn't changed. 
So now we are going to the next layer of our cake, which is more like a architecture, technical architecture, but still not detailed design. We will come to the more of a level 300 detailed design using AWS services closer to the end of our presentation, after we will do the demo, I guess. That's right. right? So just for you to understand our environment, um, each team, each team or each service has uh, two accounts. And we're talking about AWS, it has two AWS accounts. One is non-production account and another is production account. And this picture illustrates uh, what we did before we started to move to deputy. So uh, in each team there are developers. These developers, they are working with their code, they do commit something to GitHub. When this something, the change is committed to GitHub, in their non-production AWS account, they have their own tooling, which in our case mostly would be Jenkins, but not necessarily. And this Jenkins, which is their own Jenkins in the non-production account, uh, will kick in the build, will do all the tests, will do all the necessary verification, and if all is good and the binaries are okay, then it will copy the binaries to this uh, green circle below, which is called Artifactory. It's our Artifact repository. We're using JFrog Artifactory. So it will copy the binaries there. Now, the next stage would be production deployment. Uh, in this situation, we need to use segregation of duties. So we need a different group of people. Let's call them release engineer. I don't know how they call it in your company, or DevOps engineer. These people will um, have a change request open because we need to follow IT service management. This change request is approved. They go to the production environment. They get credentials, one-time credentials to access their uh, continuous deployment, or their deployment mechanism in the production. They log into this uh, deployment mechanism, which in many cases for us is also Jenkins. And after that, this deployment will pull binaries from Artifactory, or maybe infrastructure description from Artifactory, and will create your production service. That's pretty much our picture before. And I guess what we're doing, we still have human interaction to kick, kick off those mainly, mostly automated tasks. Yeah, absolutely. And we want to avoid human interaction as much as possible, even for kicking off automated tasks, because it would simplify our approach to the governance. So we said, okay, we want to lock our production environment. Nobody should have access to our production environment. And now we have a little problem, because how would we deploy anything? Nobody has access, and this is pretty much it. And we still want to deploy new versions. So that moment of time, we came up with a solution, which we call deputy. And here, I will call deputy a bridge or a pipe between non-production and production. And I'm very conscious that in some parts of my presentation, I'm saying it's policy enforcement point, and in some parts, it's a bridge. And it's actually both. That's why I'm using it quite interchangeably. So deputy, there is only one single deputy which sits in between. And what happens in the non-production environment where your engineers have access, uh, they make a decision they want production deployment. They don't have access to your production environment. So they say to non-production, I want a production deployment. It sends a signal to deputy. Deputy sends a signal to the production environment production environment automatically listens to this signal, and if signal comes in, then it kicks off a production deployment. So you can see here that Deputy is now playing that role, that segregation of duties role, but we're doing it via software now. So we kind of introduced the pipe, and 
introduction of this pipe gives us a chance to actually introduce a policy enforcement point, and that's exactly what we did in our next step. So we connected deputy to our governance framework to cast. So now then workload travels from left to right. Is it all? Yeah, it's also left to right and for you. Then uh, it collects uh, some attributes along the way, whether this workload meets CAS standards or not. And what deputy does is generally inspects this workload, asks whether it meets the, um, the standards or not. And if, it's if it does, if it's green, that it opens up and let the workload through the pipe to the production side. You can just think of it as a big checklist. At the start, at the time that the bill's kicked off, we basically get all the rules and we do a big, just a big checklist. And as we check them off, it's a you know, tick or a cross. So, as we said, as I said, some of these um, standards and techniques requires manual attestation. And if it requires manual attestation, we need a human to do this manual attestation. That's why we needed to introduce this uh, console web application on the left where service owners, architects, or other responsible people can actually log into deputy web interface and provide some manual attestation. But a lot of oh, some standards, they also have uh, automated attestation. And in this case, we need some uh, what we call attestation partner, but generally you can say like a bot, which in inspects the workload and also feeds result of this inspection back into deputy. So now we have both manual and automated attestation and deputy can make decision on both of them. Yeah, and with those attestation partners, just think, go, go back to the perspectives and those perspective owners. They are, they are, they are the teams that are providing uh, those automated checks and automated controls. They're the ones responsible for the automation. And right here we can see that deputy combines both the automated and the manual attestations together. So a bit demo. So, so a demo. So just, we've got a very simple demo. We've got a Hello World API, and we're gonna go through the build, and we'll just quickly go through a high level what's happening. So as Yuri mentioned, we've got a service team's non-prod account and a production account. We have a single deputy production environment. And so what we're gonna do is, obviously the build will kicked off after a change. We're gonna send build details or build events to deputy. As these build events come in, it automatically starts the compliance checks. If they're automated checks, it's firing off automated checks, and obviously the manual attestations are at a snapshot at that point in time. Then the, then the deployment, oh, sorry, the build pipeline uploads those artifacts at the end of the build and uploads them to Artifactory. Then what we do is we send a promotion request to deputy. And once we've got 100% compliance, deputy will actually promote the build artifacts from the verify or build stage to the release stage. So it's not the asset teams moving the artifacts through our uh, artifactory repository, it is actually deputy. Once that's completed, again, from the non-production account, we send a notification for deployment and a, a message is then sent to the production account to trigger off the deployment scripts. These are mostly the, the deployment scripts that the teams already had, but now we're kicking it off via software and passing the details of those build artifacts that have been provided as part of one of those build events to deputy. 
And again, it'll, uh, once the pipeline kicks off, it pulls those artifacts from the, um, from the release stage. So we're just going to do a swap here. So it's important on this diagram, which Chris just shown, you have three accounts. But actually, your left and your right account, you have many of them. We have, let's say, 300 non-production account and 300 production account. But we have only one deputy account in the middle. So this is the deputy management console. I've got multiple teams here, and we'll go to detail about teams. But essentially, you can rename the team. You can manage who has access to the team, who can provide those manual attestation, who can view the builds. We've also got managed DAF clients, which is our security authorization piece. Underneath a team, we've got a service called reInvent 2019. We capture some very static, this is when you register with the deputy platform. We capture some very static environmental um, details, things that don't change that often. Some of these environmental details are actually used later in some of the compliance checks. I can go here and I can provide some manual attestations which we won't show at the moment. And then under that service, I've got my Lambda application, my Hello World API. Again, I capture some very basic details, a NAB asset ID. This has actually grown a little bit, but we provide some static details about the application. Then I can go and see all the builds that have happened as part of that application. So the last build was a non-compliant build. We'll go see the report. And you can just see that checklist that I mentioned. We scroll down. We have uh, two, two non-compliant um, checks in the pipeline. So when we run the build, the build will automate these and actually send those details through and we'll be able to um, deploy into production. And obviously, you could not deploy non-compliant build, or you Absolutely. should not be able. We, we, you're not able to deploy non-compliant builds. So here's my Hello NAB API. Yeah. Just going to do a bit of a refresh here. Such creative uh, API. We didn't want to overcomplicate the demo, so we've kept it pretty basic. Obviously, we're going to make a change to that. So you're going to have to bear with me while, um, while it goes through updating this um, API. But we're just going to change what's outputted by the API, and we're actually going to go through the full end-to-end -end deployment. So you'll see the demo from the time we start to the end, and we do a deployment, is about eight, nine minutes. So not one day to collect all the attestations? No, not one day to collect all the attestations. So any of those manual ones, have actually been done at the service layer. There's a UI, we just provide some text, we upload some evidence. But everything else is automated. All the ones that are automatable will happen at the time we run the build. So I'm just putting in a comment, new reinvent message. This is actually one of the checks, you know, that a, a commit to code has been peer reviewed and has comments in it. And even manual attestations, they still automated in a way because that's deputy who validates whether this manual attestation present or not. You don't need to scroll your, through your SharePoint or Confluence to find it. That's right. So now this is the previous build. As you can see, it's failed. I'm just going to go kick it off. This is the Jenkins running in the non-prod environment. Obviously, we're doing this in a staging environment. But we actually have a full end-to-end -end environment set up in our pre-prod environment, and it's actually like a real prod account when we deploy it. So we've now kicked off. 
and the previous is red because it was in compliant in deputy. That's right. So we've got, a, we've got a couple of minutes here, Yuri. So first of all, I mean, Chris mentioned DAF, so please don't be confused. It's just our internal identity nexus management platform. We are using that for service-to-service -service authentication and nothing special. It stands for Digital Access Foundation. We use it like in the bank for multiple purposes. And here we use it as a service-to-service -service authentication provider. And this is how we register a Jenkins pipeline. When you register with a deputy platform, we use those details to tie that Jenkins server to, um, to deputy, so we know um, who's supposed to send what in regards to each service. But the second thing which Chris mentioned are built events. It sounds a little bit uh, scientific, but it's actually nothing but just, you know, set of information which pipeline collects and emits to deputy through the API call. So like build started, stage one completed, I use tool ABC. So pretty much it, uh, or I wouldn't say it's a free form information. You need to agree with your, your deputy what kind of build events it's supposed to send. But you can send pretty much any build events. Maybe some of them will be ignored by your deputy if deputy doesn't know about them. Yeah, I mean, in terms of these, these events, these are mostly, when we looked at that fully flexible model, right? these are events that are, a large percentage of the time are already happening. So we're just telling the service teams to send it to us. We're just going to quickly, at the start of each build, we generate a unique build ID across the whole platform. So which now is that correlation ID, which we use throughout the system. And this is the this is the this is the thread that we tie everything together with. So I've just gone done a refresh of the application here uh, through the deputy management console, and you can see that we've got a new build there pending. So I'm just copying the new build ID. And you can see that that's, uh, that's the one we're after. So we're going to go view the report. And you can see all these with green ticks already are those manual attestations. I've got two automated ones in there for the demo, right? And they're still pending. We're still waiting for a response. They probably haven't happened in the pipeline yet. So we're going back to the pipeline now. And we can see that we've just completed those two scans that we required. We're going to have a look at what deputy actually sends, sorry, what the pipeline actually sends to deputy. So we've got a deputy CLI, which is posting an event. It's the security scan event, which is a mandatory one. It's that build ID. And right at the end there, we've got a scan ID, and we'll go into that a bit, but that's actually the scan report from that third-party tool. And we're using that to broadcast that out, and we'll go in how we do that and validate it against one of those attestation partners. So we're, we're, we're getting to the point where we're going to do a production deployment. We're going to go back and check the overall status of the build. So we'll scroll down the bottom, and we can see that Deputy has already valid validated whether we've had two valid scans. So now you can do production deployment and promotion. That's right. So we'll go back to the overall build status. And you can see we now have a compliant build. Great. It's the, the, the build ID from before. So we mocked up this pipeline just to, so now we're gonna go with a, do you wanna deploy the production pipeline? And 
if you think that deputy adds a lot of overhead, then actually doesn't. Our pipeline works like that even without deputy. So we're probably adding like microseconds to the pipeline on all these API calls. Yeah, and we've got to remember the promotion call do does take a little bit of time. You're, you're, you're actually promoting your artifacts from the build. So deputy has to go and do that, right? So it does take a little bit of time, but you're gonna think this is when you're ready to deploy. So you might've done multiple builds, right? You can select which one to promote. But again, it's that, it's that snapshot of that compliance report at the time that build was generated. You will still spend the same time if you would copy it from the pipeline itself. Yep. So we've got another, about another minute before the promotion's completed. So another question, like we're using Jenkins, but it doesn't need to be Jenkins. We have like a couple teams in the bank, maybe more than a couple who are using GoCD. So it can be pretty much any CI CD tool of your preference. That's one. And now I think we briefly shown Deputy CLI. And Deputy CLI is nothing but convenience wrapper on top of our APIs. We will talk later about adoption. We just built this convenience wrapper for the service teams to have an easier life to adopt our tooling. Yeah, I think iteration one of, because um, we worked with a small set of teams, was a big uh, run book on how to set up and call Deputy, which is quite easy for our developers, but we wanted to make it easy. So I've actually just clicked over to the production Jenkins running in the production environment. And we can see that that deployment message has been sent and now the production job has been kicked off. That's an interesting thing, Chris. You mentioned that you have no access to the production environment. Still, you are showing us a production Jenkins. We, we do have read access, but we can't do anything else other than that in the environment. So we're, about, we're pretty close to the end. We've got another minute and you'll see that automatically those build scripts have been kicked off. The build scripts have gone to the release stage for those artifacts for that service. And it's actually doing a deployment and we'll see that change uh, in that API in a, in a minute or so. We've got to wait for these demos sometimes, but you know, 10 minutes is not bad for a build to deployment. Yeah, it's much better than one day. Much better than one day and re-attesting. Yeah. Of, course, of course, it's a small demo for reInvent. It might be much more complicated if you are doing like one of your real applications where you have long testing time and such. Oh, that's right. So I think now we'll go and see that that deployment has finished. And at the end of the deployment, deputy, sorry, at the end of the deployment, the production pipeline does send back another notification back to deputy to say that whether the deployment has been successful or not. So we've gone back to that API and we've done a refresh. And? And yeah. that's the change that we made earlier. So we're just gonna go flick, the, and now we're going to some of the details of um, how we've put that together. Yeah. Deep dive. So this is just a logical model of what you saw through the deputy UI. We talked about teams, we talked about services, and we talked about applications. It, it also gives us, a, it also is a little bit um, uh, our role-based access. We wanted to keep it simple because we didn't want to dictate to teams how they wanted to operate. But teams, is, they're the people that can see the services. Yuri is a service owner. He has multiple teams, right? Under those teams, each team's responsible for different services. Under those services, we have applications. So the construct of the service, you may or may not need. We needed it because 
um, we still have some manual attestations. And if we take the example of an internet banking application, which is made up of multiple components, potentially UI, potentially various payment engines, other business logic, they're all different deployable artifacts. They're all different applications that have their own builds. However, we, when we attest at the, from a CAST perspective, we do it at the service layer. So we don't, we don't need to re-attest. We don't have to provide that attestation for each application. We want to capture it once, and we didn't want service owners to basically copy that across. So we do it at the service layer, and then whatever build kicks off under those application actually gets those manual attestations. And uh, don't overthink service concept. It's a convenience concept, so that you don't need to do the same attestation multiple times. So if you have a, what you think is a service, but there are two parts where you need to do completely different attestations, call them service one and service two. So it's pretty much for your convenience, this concept of service. The concept of application is individually deployable unit. So a little bit more of a deep dive. We, um, the deputy platform is just a collection of microservices and they're grouped into three bounded contexts. So we have here our account management context and that's really that stuff that I capture um, through the UI when I register with the platform or modify. But they're those things, those static things that don't change. My teams, my services, my application, who's got access to it. Then we have our let me remember, uh, framework management. Again, this is, this is our, uh, these are our rules. We've talked about CAST. This is where CAST actually gets stored. Our standards, our techniques, whether they're automated, whether they're manual. And this is where we create it. We actually have more than the CAST framework now in the deputy platform. So we, have, we store multiple frameworks. And then we have our assessment enforcement. This is those build events, those you know, unstructured data that we're getting through the pipelines. We don't know which events we need in the future. We're just gonna collect all of them, right? So we, we store those within um, the assessment enforcement con bounded context. And it's important that all build events are immutable. And even when you copy attestation on each build to the build, it becomes immutable. So it becomes a snapshot at the build time. And that's where we store it in, in the assessment enforcement uh, context as well. So let's go into a little bit more detail. You saw some of this earlier, but essentially we expose all our APIs using Kong as our API gateway. We've chosen Kong at NAB uh, to, to use as our API gateway. All, all, of our, all of our services are Lambda functions. Everything's serverless on our platform. We talked about the two more relational aspects of our database, the uh, account management and the assessment frameworks. They're stored in RDS because they're structured, they're relational. Then with our inf assessment enforcement, we store that within DynamoDB because it's unstructured. When we're talking about fanning out across all the production accounts, we have hundreds of productions accounts. We need an easy way to be able to scale that across all the accounts. So those notifications is we put them on an SNS topic and broadcast them out. So we now need to hook up a service team's production account. So we've got these reusable components in there. We, we, we've got a templated SQS queue. We've got another step function in there, which is an Amy promoter or an Amazon machine image promoter. But we'll talk about that a little. It's just a different type of uh, promotion that can't actually go in Artifactory. You can't store them in there. So we need another way when you select 
when you promote an Amy, it actually happens within a production account. Again, the team doesn't have access to this URI, it actually just triggers it off. Yeah, it's generally because Amy is just too big for Artifactory. That's the only reason we had to invent a separate way to promote Amy's. And these reusable components, we're just using service catalog, AWS service catalog to distribute it around the account. And it was really a good way for us to scale this out quite easily across the platform, uh, across our teams. Because it makes adoptions also much easier. Yeah, the team doesn't have to think about a queue or how we're gonna pick up those messages. They don't have access to the account. All these are pre-configured and they pass in the parameter of those unique details that get generated by deputies so they register to the right things. So let's have a look at a little bit of those build events that we talked about. At the start, we talked about uh, generating a unique build ID. At the time, we also put in the uh, git commit hash as, as a piece that gets stored against the build. And as we send those build events, um, they're just one line uh, with the deputy CLI. In terms of adoption, we just wanted to make it really easy for our, our developers, who are our customers, because we love our customers. We want to make it really easy. We, wanna, we don't want a barrier to entry. So you can see here, we're just providing, um, I mean, they, they are defined uh, build events that we need to recognize in deputy. Sonocube scan completed, SAS scan completed. And all they're doing is providing the unique IDs that metadata of that scan from that tool. Actually, under the covers, all it's doing is an API call to our events API, and you can see that there. Very basic. This is our deployment message. We've got a bunch of data up the top, but essentially, as those builder, yeah, uh, this is our deployment message, and this is the stuff that, during the build, the team tells us what artifacts they need to promote. So in the Artifactory world, for those who use Artifactory, you've got the concept of items. They're just your zip files or your jar files. You also provide uh, the ability to promote Docker images. They're done a little bit differently, so we need to know about that. And we've got AMIs. So that we also promote those differently, obviously. And this is pretty much this message, which on Chris diagram, you put to SNS in the central account and this message gets pulled by the SQS in the asset account, in the service team account. And you can see a unique ID up there, application ID. That gets generated by deputy, and that's how we tie everything together in the platform. This was actually our first, this was actually our first thing that we developed in deputy. Yeah, this, that was the first step, that's right. Right, this was the first thing that actually, that triggering mechanism, there was no rules built in. This was the first piece of the puzzle for us. So if you want to start on the same journey, that's probably a good first step, which yeah. we would recommend. It wasn't invasive to our teams, or as invasive as some of the other stuff. So it was an easy way to go uh, trigger their existing scripts. And it's matured over time, obviously. Our venting pattern. I think this is actually one of the most important parts of our platform. I think it's also the coolest as well, because it actually does some pretty cool stuff because it's the latest, that's why it's coolest. That's the latest stuff too. So this is around the automation of those cast techniques or any attestation. So we'll go back to some of the details that were sent through the build pipeline. Here's our deputy CLI during the build, sending the build ID, scan completed event, that metadata. It ends up in deputy, as you can see, that's the post to the events API. And what happens with that? We take the information that's stored statically um, around the service or the application and we generate this attestation message. So you can see at the top is the, 
is the metadata that's been provided during the build. But for every piece of metadata that we get that's from the build pipeline, we actually include everything else that's been uh, stored in the deputy platform around that service. Because as I mentioned, some of those environmental checks happen on that static information. Then we have the account on the right-hand side there, the station partner. We've got a recommended architecture for them to use. Use an SQSQ, get it from service catalog. But what we really do care about is that red, that red compliance check. They're the owners, owners of the rule. They need to write the business rules. What's a valid scan? It's important to note that this account on the right, it's actually not our account. This account, there are multiple accounts like that, and they belong to all the attestation partners who can actually operate independently. Yeah, so Checkmarks has this running in their account, and another control owner has it, has it running in theirs. And so it gives us the flexibility to be able to scale this out, provide the information, but we don't have to be the ones writing the rules. The deputy platform is not the owners of these rules. All we care about is the outcome. We even don't know these rules, and more than that, I mean, with this level of decoupling, and we need to admit, that's not where we started. We started by automating all controls ourselves, and that didn't work out very well. No, my uh, team was going a bit nuts, actually. Yeah, and when we came up with this uh, decoupling approach, we even don't need to know if they decide to change the system they're using for attestation. If they want to move from check marks to something else, I mean, the interface is still very clear. That's this uh, finding or we'll, we'll come, we'll, yeah, we'll yeah, come. Yeah, compliance check, the red one. Yeah, so what, what that happens, we've broadcast this out. As these build events are coming in, we've broadcast them out. That's why we get some of those compliance checks really early. We go out to check marks. We go, here's, here's an event. Can you let me know that it's compliance? And so another piece of our decoupling, we've got a generic findings API. Right? So when we register these attestation partners, we know it's them, because we use that service-to-service -service authentication. We know it's them providing uh, evidence for uh, technique reference SAS01. We know it's them. So when they register, they just need to post back. We just need to know whether it was compliant or non-compliant. If it's non-compliant, that generic errors payload gets filled out and we display it, display it to the user. They're posting back on the same technique reference. If the same team has multiple controls, that will be updated, technique reference number will change. And that's important to see that there is like event is broadcasted on the line. The reason it's broadcasted because we might have several attestation partners who actually need the same event. So that's the reason for broadcasting on this, uh, on this interaction. Yeah, some of, there's some common steps, build started, build completed. When do we run some environmental checks? There might be three different control owners that want to do it. So they, they actually pick up the same message. So we've touched on a little bit, but here are some of our technology choice and patterns. The deputy platform is a REST API-driven microservices architecture with those three bounded contexts. We mentioned Kong API Gateway, AWS Lambda, DynamoDB, RDS. There's a bit of S3, SNS, and SQS. We have 30 supported operations across 59 Lambda functions today. Might have changed over the last few days. We have 1,600 compliance documents stored as evidence right now against those registered workloads. We have a React front end, and all our back end is actually in Python. Running as lambdas. Running as lambdas. You know, we've seen a lot of that event-driven architecture with those service boundaries. Runtime costs. I mean, the biggest cost of this, it's about 600 US a month, 
but the biggest cost are two things. It's our RDS databases and also the instances that are running our Jenkins box. So unfortunately, we're running Jenkins, so we have to run that on EC2 instances. So what's next? Are we done? Obviously not yet. So even we created this nice decoupled architecture uh, for the attestation partners, we still need realistically come and help them to automate the controls. We do it quite often. We're thinking about functionality which we call workload profiles because some of the workloads need one set of attestation partners and some of the workloads need another set of attestation partners. And as of today, we don't support it. So we will be working on that. So an example, we sorry, that Yuri would be container workloads mm. need container scanned. Other code doesn't need that type of container vulnerability scan. They have different security scans that we provide on them. So we need a way to be able yeah. to map those workload profiles. We are working actively on the integration with our service management tool, which is ServiceNow. Which I believe, Yuri, should be landed by the time we get back. We've left the team uh, building integration and they're pretty close. So now we'll enter that. That's a commitment, right? Yep. Okay, good. So, and uh, we need to onboard more teams. I mean, we still do put some effort into onboarding. We made it like, we made adoption quite easy now, but we still need to come and help. But, and, you know, we, we are discovering new scenarios, new situations, maybe not with every team, but with every third, fourth team. We're kind of finding something new, you know, new requirements for our platform, and we need to develop features to support them. I mean, another one up there is how do we notify the service teams? that a new control has become mandatory or a new control has been introduced. So we're thinking about how we do those notifications, excuse me, through the service teams, maybe via the deputy management console. We also have the ability for attestation or automated controls to be made non-mandatory, brand new control. Hey teams, you've got four weeks. Here's what you need to do to provide it. In four weeks, it's gonna become mandatory. So we've got that, we've got that mechanism as well. So key messages, so lessons learned. I guess you came here to find how you can reuse it for your own situation. And I would say we have uh, probably two most important messages. So start small and fix on the, uh, on the outcomes which can be adopted easy. We, we had like, you know, some of our scars. We started by trying to create some of I would say universal pipeline in the production, and it didn't work very well from the beginning. So, so far we're using Teams pipelines in the production in this design. Yeah, and I think that actually burnt a lot of effort in our team. So I guess the message is start with something small, get it out there. Get and get out. return on investment. Also get some feedback, because if, if we're building it and the, our customers aren't happy with it, then what's the point? We're just building software for no reason. And another big suggestion, start with a team which actually buys in into your vision. We are very thankful to our internet banking team who was with us through the whole journey and was very instrumental in making this a success. So find somebody who has a acceptance of your vision, some of the workload teams, service teams, and who are willing to, to go with you on this journey. Yeah, I mean, the internet banking team knows what it takes to, uh, and how much effort is required for those governance activities. So they were willing to sacrifice a little bit of flexibility on their side to sort of help us develop the product. It was really important for us and we didn't have though, a lot of the deputy platform uh, got developed based on their feedback. So work with teams to get you on that journey. 
So the next slide will be AWS training and certification slide. So please do your trainings and certifications at AWS yep. reInvent. That's right. And uh, well, that's the end of the presentation. Um, so like we have uh, four more minutes. So if you want to ask some questions, you can use this I mic think, in yeah. the center. Yeah. Or else, you know, write to us, find us on LinkedIn, catch us at the end of the presentation here or outside. Thank you very much. So.